Hello, hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of the fifth season of Law and Candor, the podcast wholly devoted to pursuing the legal technology revolution. I'm Rob, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Mariano. Thanks again for tuning in. And before we get into the substance of our uh, discussion today, of course, we'll pause for sightings of radical brilliance, where we talk about interesting innovations or other uh, cool technical stuff that's happening in the legal industry. Bill, what have we got today? So we got an article on law.com by Ghulam Zaid. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, interesting article published last week about overcoming the next big hurdle for remote law firms, efficiency. And this, this is more practical, right? This is, it, it looks at the practicality of the at-home work environment for law firms and some of the issues that they've had to deal with. Because look, I mean, us here at Lighthouse, we went from a probably what a 60-40, 70-30 work office to office to home to a 90-10 work from home recently with COVID. And, and you know, there are issues presented for it uh, by, by, by such a thing, especially law firms who are used to going into the office. Yeah, like I think like the model, at least, you know, when I was at a law firm, like you definitely leaned heavy on your technical support people, but it was like, come up to my office and fix this computer, you know, because it's not working or help me, you know, figure out how to, how to run this search. A little bit different um, when you're at home and, you know, hopefully you're using tools, you know, that are cloud-based so that at least you're able to operate with the whole tool set. One thing I thought was kind of interesting is, you know, he mentions this article, like, does it kind of possibly even raise ethical issues? I mean, you know, under the ABA model rules, you know, there, there of course are rules around, you know, technical competence and using the best technology for your clients. If you didn't have access to those because you were at home, I guess I can see I can see where he's going with that one. Yeah, and, and and I think, you know, it's this started originally, I think, you know, when they first pivoted and they started sending people home, let's say up in the northeast area, started sending people home back in March and April. I think at first they were worried about cyber security, right? They were worried about the, you know, not having the same security at home as you would have in the office for people not logging into the VPN, worrying about phishing scams, things like that. They overcome that and now it becomes, you know, uh, what about you know, updating the technology. And to your point, you know, they started working with the fact that that's, it's so much easier now with cloud-based systems to make sure everybody's on the same updated technology. But, yeah, you know, then you have the, the practical issue of, you know, communicating and collaborating with your colleagues. And that's where we've seen this big uptick in Microsoft Teams, for instance. But Microsoft Teams has exploded due to COVID. I mean, it's one, it's one area that has really done very well in the, in the COVID environment. But not everybody was as familiar with Microsoft Teams. I mean, we, we, consult with companies all the time on Microsoft Teams and law firms are probably the least proficient there because they're, they don't rely on it nearly as much because they're always in office. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, a shout out to the unsung heroes uh, in law firms, you know, the poor people that are kind of running remote technical support over the last six months. Can't imagine how busy uh, those people have been. You know, I know they're always sort of relied on and I'm sure it's even more so now. So good job keeping everybody going. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that uh, we should probably shout out our own IT people here because I mean, you know I've been driving them nuts over those last few months. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting. You know, the the idea, I guess, when you're at a law firm, you don't want your clients to see any difference in your communication, your collaboration, your efficiency, certainly your billing because you're doing things remotely in th- in ways that you've never done them before. And it looks like they're adapting. And this this article takes an interesting look at how that sort of evolved and how the new, you know, how once you've uh, eliminated the security problem. Then you move on to a hardware software issue or cloud issue, and then you start working on the more practical things about communicating and collaborating. So interesting. Definitely. All right. Well, we're excited to um, showcase our next guest speaker talking about something that I think is just relevant to a lot of our listeners. 
how do you use advanced analytics to facilitate you know a large review so please stay tuned and take a listen Okay, so our guest today is Adam Strayer of Paul Weiss. Adam, if you can just give us a little bit of background on yourself and our audience. Sure, thanks for having me. Um, so my name is Adam Strayer. Uh, I'm the eDiscovery Analytics and Data Science Manager at Paul Weiss, uh, Rifkin, Wharton, and Garrison, if you want to be formal. I felt like those those guys at the end of that always got the they always got the bad end, right? They those uh, you know I you know they always got the also rents. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think like you guys, I started my career similar to you. I, I finished law school and started to practice. I think you guys went into private practice. I went straight to the Federal Trade Commission, actually, and spent several years working on merger investigations and reviews, uh, issuing second requests, merger prosecutions. Particularly, I was in the Mergers 2 division, which focused at the time on chemicals, plastics, some consumer goods, but also computer hardware. After that, I actually went into private practice and did antitrust defense work for a while in New York at a small boutique antitrust firm, and then moved into e-discovery because obviously I'd been working on second requests for, for the bulk of my career. It was an easy transition, or at least a, a, a natural transition. Um, and then I spent the last, about the last decade working uh, in e-discovery consulting, mostly focused on analytics and predictive coding, providing advice on second requests, internal investigations, et cetera. And now for the last uh, two and a half years, I've been at Paul Weiss uh, running what we call eDART. It's our internal e-discovery analytics team. Naturally, we focus on all types of analytics, predictive coding, clustering, machine learning, et cetera. And we also have a small data science team that works on you know, data wrangling, data cleanup, um, looking for trends in data. So, Adam, you know how much we love analytics. We talk about it all the time on the podcast. Just curious to get your opinion on why are we seeing you know, sort of greater use of advanced analytics on larger matters, especially second requests? Could you maybe just shed a little bit of light on that? You know, it's funny. I'm sure you guys saw the same thing. It started off like, I don't know, around 2011, 2012, as if like this is, that was the year of tar. It was the um, the legal tech of tar, which, whichever year it was. And it seemed like everything was going to go gangbusters. And then we saw more and more and it increased a little bit. But then it, to, from my perspective, it kind of plateaued. Like we was even in 2018, 2017, we were still introducing clients to these tools who just hadn't either used them or had shied away from them. And so there was a big learning curve there for a lot of clients that I think only in the last year or two has really seemed to kind of plateau, where now everyone's aware of these. Most people are really comfortable using them in some way, shape, or form. The efficiencies are very clear to most people in the industry, even if they still are a little wary of the black box and don't totally trust the statistics. Um, I think it's really come around. And I'm seeing partners who in the past may not have wanted to deal with these kind of tools now really want us to integrate them into their cases. Yeah. When you say, yeah, the, the key is there, they still don't want to deal with them. They want you to deal with them for them, well, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, that's, that's where someone like you, uh, delivers the value, right, for your, for your firm and your and your firm's clients. So let's talk a little bit about some of the tools and strategies that you've leveraged in, you know, either uh, either a recent matter or that you routinely leverage on behalf of your clients to make sure that, like, you know, to leverage technology to mitigate the cost traditionally associated with reviewing needless documents or things like that. I mean, I, th I think I've heard your other guests say it's it's definitely a toolkit and um, you don't, there's no one size fits all for every case. And you really come to it with a suite of tools and a kind of bespoke approach for everyone. That said, there are set tools. So we do take, you know, we, we do look to use the basics like email threading and near duplicate identification and even keyword expansion and almost all of our matters. 
But our approach is really to look beyond just those and to use things like concept clustering and concept searching to really build out either keyword lists or to identify key documents really early on. And then ideally to use some form of predictive coding, be that TAR 1.0 or CAMEL, CMML, uh, almost all matters, um, particularly educating clients and lawyers by using these tools to prioritize documents. And they've seen really early on in these projects, like, oh, wow, we're seeing vast amounts of responsive documents right away. So our approach really is to take, you know, all these tools in our box and kind of really approach every case like a special baby and make use of these. Adam, I think another thing, I think it's having the technology is one thing, but what are some of the more effective and efficient workflows that you'd recommend? Because I think we know that workflows matter just as much as technology does. Yeah. And and you're building that workflow on the fly often, you know, and clients and and lawyers want you to get in the documents right away. Don't, you know, just start reviewing on day one, throw bodies at it. Um, And we've really found that taking a little bit of time on the front end to think through what the workflow is going to be, to look through your document universe, to find responsive documents, to see, kind of get a sense of what's there um, is really helpful in in the first couple of days. One thing is, I think we're fortunate by being a internal shop at a firm is that we're able to look at historical data within the firm, track that, go to attorneys and say, you know, here's the success rate we've had on this one. We can do a lot of lookbacks and retrospectives, particularly in the adoption or use of Camel internally. We've been able to say, look at this second request. It was huge. We used Camel on it. And you can see that over the seven, eight-week review, we saw 80% of all responsive documents in the first three weeks. And I can take that data and take it down the hall to another partner and say, here's what we should think about using on this case, or we might want to consider. So that's definitely an advantage that vendors don't necessarily have, is that kind of uh, internal credibility. Yeah, and but then again, we don't have to walk down the hall in law firms. So there's a, it's a, you know, it's a, that's safer. That's much safer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, but let's talk about the, you know, it's something we talk about a lot here, which is, you know, leveraging each individual person's expertise and perspective. Right. And so we, like, for instance, our data scientists that we work with, uh, aren't necessarily, you know, lawyers, right. They don't, they don't necessarily have that background in law. They see, they see zeros and ones, you know, you do a little bit of both. Then you have partners that don't know anything about technology. And then you have in-house counsel that know a lot about their own internal, let's say the strategy behind the deal. Let's take, taking the second request as an example and the litigator understanding how to litigate that with the FTC or the DOJ. So let's talk about combining or, or leveraging the different expertise, talents, and perspectives of each of the team members that might be involved when, you know, you're going about leveraging technology. Do you, do you interview these different people? Do you talk to, to, to different people to get some context? And, and, and how do you do that and combine that with the technology you have in your toolkit? So there are kind of two pieces there. The first one was kind of what I built my career on, I think, was that running interference between the project management support and the analytics support and the lawyers. Because I had that lawyer experience where you know, I understood what went into a second request, what was required by a second request, or just a large document review. And I could explain that to lawyers, I think, pretty well. I'm really fortunate now to have a really very experienced team who's really good at explaining these tools and working closely with with lawyers and explaining this. But to the other part of your question, you know, as to how do you leverage all these various uh, individuals with various different expertise? It's hugely beneficial to have the client involved, to have someone from the client's IT to be engaged, to can explain what it is we're looking at, kind of identify any holes, to, and to work closely with us there. And then certainly to have, if we have the opportunity, to have someone who substantively knows these documents on the front end, be that a really you know 
well-versed associate who's been deep in these documents. You know, on many matters, not just on second requests, we often sit down in the room with associates or partners, and we'll sit there and go through clusters with them. That benefits us as we move forward, because then we kind of, you know, through osmosis, pick up some of that understanding of the case. But also, I think it helps them understand these tools, how they work, and I think it helps us identify, for example, better seed documents for a, for a predictive coding project. Um, so really having everyone engaged from start to finish and understanding at least some part of all segments in this is really helpful. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. You're sort of like, you end up having to, it's, it's a little bit like herding cats, but if you do it correctly, it's, it, you know, it, it can be rewarding at the end. So, and this, this has been fantastic. I, I appreciate it. This is a topic we keep coming back to more and more. And I think that the feedback we get from the audience is that anytime we can touch on analytics, especially in specific use cases, and here we talked about second requests quite a bit, it's really valuable. People like talking about it because, you know, analytics can be an amorphous word. So how are we actually putting it to use uh, to, in practice? And I think our, our clients get a lot out of it. So I can't thank you enough. I'm going to take a, a stab at a recap here. And you said a lot of really interesting things. So I want to make sure I had it all. We talked about, you know, t- taking the time at the front end will save you some time on the back end, right? Whether that's through sampling or otherwise prioritizing data. Like you mentioned, the one thing I thought was really interesting is that you've been able, you've had some success in prioritizing uh, and front-loading responsive documents. I think you said something about 80% of the documents on, on a matter that you, you were able to get up front were, were, were responsive, which I, think is, which I think is a phenomenal success story because it really does keep the attorney's eyes on documents that they need to review and keeps them less off of. If you have that kind of track record, you can start to, to leverage that going forward. Also, uh, don't rely on any one tool, but tre- there's no magic button, so to speak. Use the entire toolkit at your disposal and, le- and leverage everything that you have to its fullest capability. Each case, I think you said was a special baby. I put down Snowflake. I think, you know, the, the same thing. And, and leveraging the experience and the, and the perspectives of each of the team members oftentimes will help you to get a really good sense of the project uh, as you're deciding which tools in your toolkit you're going to use. Anything you'd like to add to that? But I, th- I think I got most of that genius that you were spewing over the last 10 minutes. But if I missed anything, let me know. Hardly genius, but um, thank you. The one thing I'd add that we didn't touch on really is the use of sampling and how important that can be and how useful it can be to really understand your data and get an insight into what's there. And we sample really early, just taking small random samples to kind of get a sense of the richness to look for what outliers might be there, just kind of find holes in the data. So that's the one part I would add. Yeah, I, I think that that's great. And I think, you know, I think I think that's a part of any good, uh, especially with tar and, and, and camel, I think that's a part of every good process, especially if you have experienced some success in the past, which obviously you have. Adam, I can't thank you enough. We can't thank you enough for, for joining today. I really appreciate this. This is a super hot topic. I, I doubt this will be the last time we speak on it. It's really fantastic to have you. Thanks so much for, for sharing your thoughts on it and uh, for bringing your expertise to Law & Candor. I have to tell you, get ready for like weird things to start happening to you now, especially if you wear the Law & Candor t-shirt outside. People start chasing you down the street. People will be asking for autographs. You might catch a request for a black and white autograph picture of yourself to be hung in local diners in New Jersey. There's all kinds of random some things that are going to happen to you now and you're just going to say who do i have to blame for this and you could just blame it on bill and Rob. fortunately i'm hiding during quarantine in northern michigan where there is like no people <laughs> so i'm totally safe <laughs> well that's good good for you listen take care stay safe thank you so much for joining us this was really great really appreciate it thanks guys this is rob with a call out to our our dedicated fan base if you support world peace if you support everything good, please support the Long Candor Podcast. Like us. Give us a great review. Subscribe. Do whatever you can do to help. And we, of course, will be eternally grateful. Thank you.